0: Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Anifa Walida. This is Red Summer, and we are your gay aunties. <laughs>
1: you what know, I'm saying? Coming to your <laughs> live and direct.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> We're trying to come live and direct. We are almost done <laughs> with our working on difficulty. it, right? Working on it. Um, we realized that Red has the ghetto Wi-Fi. I don't know. (laughs) We're going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. But um, we're going to try and come to you as clearly as possible and with love.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So um, today, uh, me and Red were talking. um, Rather, when Red signed on, um, she caught me uh, in the background dancing. She must have heard me huffing and puffing.
0: (laughs) I I, what were you doing dancing? It was the snaps. I was like, oh, somebody getting down.
1: <laughs> and I was. I was I was having a Michael Jackson moment. <laughs> I started watching This Is It on the Stars Network. And I just paused it. And I just went on Spotify. And I just played like some of my favorite joints from Off the Wall, which is my favorite Michael Jackson album. And that dates me, but it dates me well. So so then we started talking about this, our relationship with music and how, we'll say our generation's relationship with music, as opposed to maybe our younger generation's relationship with music and what that actually looks like, and how we developed our first crushes through music. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to go into today. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, We can go decade by decade, but... um, (laughs) because that that's it right there red you know um and we're saying we can go decade by decade because um i think one of the single things that differentiates um say the gen x generation from um the millennial gen z whatever generation literally is technology okay mm-hmm. And um, I think our generation was the last one that discovered like, like, you know, being a kid in the house first discovered music through our parents record collection before we were old enough to have our own, you know, records slash CDs or whatever, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that experience of um, well, let's talk about that. What was your what was the first record you picked up from your your mother, father, whomever?
0: Yeah, so I was going to say that prior to that, music was, music and television were a whole house experience, right? So Sunday morning, or I'll even say Saturday morning, it's cleanup time. You know that because Aretha Franklin just starts blasting through the house. Aretha Franklin means get your butt up. Get down here with a mop and a broom. We're about to clean the house <laughs> like and my mom is, you know, just like jamming out to all of her like and I guess at this time like the Motown music, Smokey Robinson, all of that kind of stuff. And that is a whole house experience, right? Um gospel music. Whole house experience, right? Um, records, you cannot listen to them independently, right? You're playing them on a speaker, and so everybody in the house is exposed to this. I in high school get my walkman, and I'm listening to all the music my mama don't want me to listen to to myself right and not that she was like really policing me about what music I was listening to but you know growing up with this Islamic influence um I'm definitely like listening to hip-hop and I'm listening to you know a, a lot of music that's pushing a lot of boundaries as far as language is concerned as far as the experiences that they're um describing um sexuality is a lot more in your face than it used to be. Like, I remember five or six years old. I don't know how old I was exactly, but I remember being really young and learning the words to sugar walls. Oh. By the East, right. And in my youth, sugar walls becomes my lullaby. mm. Whenever I'm at my grandmother's house, because I used to have nightmares at her house, I would play sugar walls before I went to sleep. And in my mind, this is like a candy house, right? (laughs) Because I'm a child. (laughs) And so come on inside my sugar walls. And in my mind, it's like, you know, (laughs) a cartoon. When I become an adult... And understand what it means to come inside somebody's sugar walls. I have absolutely, like, disgusted with my parents. <laughs> Y'all did not care about me at all. <laughs> How did you let me listen to this music? But they understood that sexuality was coded. That children who do not have context do not have access to mm. what's being discussed. And so... Yeah, I'm listening to a lot of this stuff that I didn't realize what they were talking about until way later. Teddy P and Marvin Gaye and all of these guys. <laughs> yeah. So those become like how I understand music at that time and in, in communal music listening.
1: Say word. Um, well, my house was just me and my mama and mm-hmm. but it was very similar Saturday mornings WBGO you know we was in New York but WBGO was actually in Jersey but you can hear it in New York and mm-hmm. that's when they did like um oh god what was the name How Jackson yeah How Jackson's like it was like basically like oldies but goodies you know type of thing and and at that time oldies and goodies wasn't 80s hip hop
0: <laughs> it, <was, laughs>
1: it was it was 50 was 60s music right and you know I couldn't touch that radio um And that was a time when we did house chores. And, Mm -hmm. but what what I remember vividly is my mother introduced the music to me by, I just watched her sheer joy of dancing Mm -hmm. around the house, you know, to this music. I saw her become a little girl again. So like the fifties was when she was like a child and the sixties is like when she was a teenager, maybe young adult. Right. And Mm -hmm. I would see even her body transform from different, you know, ages when she would hear certain songs. And I think she was probably the most charismatic with her childhood music, like the doo-wop until this day. I can fuck mm-hmm. with some doo-wop music. You yeah. know, I can really <laughs> fuck with some doo-wop music because it was like ingrained in me. But the first album or the first music I discovered, um, I clearly remember it because um, I was a latchkey kid so I had spent you know I spent time alone at home after school and I remember going through my mother's records killing time mm. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I, it was Teddy Pendergrass's first album it was that white album where he had white on the white album he had white on with a black shirt mm. <laughs> and when I put the record on <laughs> <laughs> I was introduced to a voice and not just a voice, but an approach to singing a song that was in your face. Like I, I had never, you know, he wasn't a crooner. He, well, in ways he was, no, he wasn't a crooner. <laughs> he was a sex symbol yeah. at the time, but he had this really deep, but smooth, but rough voice, and his lyrics, like I mean, his the lyrics were like, "I don't love you anymore." Oh well, such a shame, such a shame, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or my joint was, um, um, "You can't hide from yourself. Everywhere you go, <laughs> there you are." <laughs> like who writes like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how they was writing back then. They it said it's, you know, in your face, right? So, you know. Me, being a little mini artist, maybe I didn't realize it at the time, I, to this day, I can claim that Teddy Pendergrass was my default. He is, in part, one of the musical ancestors that I imagine when I'm on stage. And he's like the bar, you know, of how you control an audience in a song and with your voice, you know? And, but he wasn't my first crush, though. (laughs) He was my music crush. Yes. (laughs) Now if we, if we if we fast forward a little bit where we had a little autonomy <laughs> And that's the that's the bit because it's like it is, just to just to stick to our original point that okay so the first music we learn we learn through our parents or our older siblings or whatever, right? And but then, you know, as we're like in junior high or whatever, you know, we get a walkman or whatever and now hip hop's on the scene and whatever and you you get in you know, you go into the store to buy your own joints <laughs> yeah. You know, and um I remember. Um, I used to be a big. I used to buy every issue of Write On magazine. All right, so that mm-hmm. was like the teenage magazine of the '80s, right? And in the middle of Write On magazine was always like a full, like a poster you can like take out and it be it beca- like a full length, like eighteen by twenty four poster, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I found a photo. In my mom's house of my childhood wall, my teenage childhood wall, you could not mm. see any bit of the wall. All you saw was yeah. posters on top of posters, <laughs> on top of posters. And the one that was dead center was my girl Janet Jackson.
0: Woo!
1: <laughs> she yeah. was my first crush. Like, mm. and I not did not when she was like control Janet Jackson, like. I'm talking about good times, Janet Jackson. I'm talking <laughs> about different strokes, Janet Jackson. And I'm talking, <laughs> you know, about fame, Janet Jackson. And then yeah. control, Janet Jackson, and then so on, and so on, and so on. You know what I mean? Right. First time I ever saw her, I just like, my heart just stopped. It was something about her. Yes, she was Michael Jackson's sister, but that isn't why I just, I just, she was the first woman I saw that I was like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. This is different. <laughs> <What the hell? laughs> I know I keep this shit a secret. <laughs> right. <laughs> but hell yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't
1: know. Who was your mom,
0: Yeah, so I watched a lot of black and white movies with my mom.
1: Oh my God. Let's not go into and it.
0: And I was... Absolutely, head over heels in love with Lena Horn and Dorothy
1: Dandridge. Damn, like oh, she like the skinned girls.
0: Horn, <laughs> Dorothy Dandridge, like to me, and I think because the movies that she was showing me, like they were the lead characters, right? Hmm. Um, But they danced and they sang and they were sexy. And in my mind, like, that was the kind of woman I was going to grow up to be.
1: Mm.
0: And it's interesting that you said that because they do kind of look like women in my family who, like, I could identify with that kind of demure kind of Southern woman, like sexy but not over the top, but you know what I'm saying? Like yes. they were just classy, just classy and classic women. And I I didn't wear jeans to school until like my senior year of high school. Like Damn. I wanted to be dressed up all the time and like look like these like these classy women that I saw. But in the '80s, you didn't see a whole lot of dressing up anymore. Especially moving into the '90s, like there were no places for me to get that dressed up, like Lena Horne dressed up to go. Right
1: <laughs> now, as a teenager, anyway. and so
0: right, and so it just stayed with me as like a goal, you know,
1: huh. <laughs> like. Did it, did you feel that it somewhat just, did you feel that somewhat shaped like your your femme identity or defined it in some way?
0: Definitely, definitely, and I referred to Carmen Jones until maybe last weekend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> really, but yeah, I didn't. I think like that was was my standard that I measured everything else from. And there were a few women that kind of met that for me. Like Felicia Rashad, like definitely fit in that ah, mind Um Debbie Allen. Word. You know, she had that kind of like boss kind of lady thing that, yeah. You came here to work. But not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Diane Carroll, like those kind of women Oh, my God. I just, I was a fool
1: for them. <laughs> wow, wow. So, okay, but here, here's the thing. Like, so these women seem to have, like, shaped your sense of femme identity. Um, but what what's the dynamics of being, were you crushed out on them? Like, how did your, your as far as who you're attracted to now, or what kind of woman you're attracted to now? Like, how did you go from Lena Horne to now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um.
0: I'm very much attracted to feminine women, feminine women, especially coming up in Islam was my entree to single gendered spaces. <laughs> um, but you know, in certain societies, you got to like who like you too. So. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, all right. So then, hold on, there's a conversation. I mean, I've, I've, and I don't want to even go on too much of a tangent, but, you know, like most of, most of my, 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 my friends are actually femme identified. You know, we can go into another discussion of, I, I don't really hang out with too many butchers or that's a long story. But anyway, so, and their right. thing is the, even the idea, not all of them, cause some, they're, you know, like some femme, you know, uh, I don't want to call them femme aggressors or whatever. They'll, they'll fuck with a femme, but most femmes I know, They ain't trying to hear that shit. That's just like oil and water, you know Mm. what I mean? Um, And it's like always this kind of clash. And for me, as someone who's masculine identified, you know, I always wondered, like, you know, how someone who's femme identified, how they what what like what kinds of femininity, you know, are you attracted to? Like, what does that look like? I like I know my thought process. You know, and my thought process is very akin to very kind of, you know, hetero way of looking at the world. You know what I mean? Um, But so that's always a a curious thing of how that I always was curious how that how once someone who's femme identified. And this is obviously this is if you're femme identified and you're attracted to someone who's more masculine identified, you know, how Mm. what that encompasses for you.
0: So I've always attracted women who were masculine on the outside of <laughs> <laughs> like, Damn, that's another
1: that's another topic
0: <laughs> like yeah we present but and not like only but that really were in touch still with their feminine selves like um, yeah so that I could still have access to those things that attracted me to women in the first place
1: Mm.
0: If that answers.
1: <laughs> no, that that does answer uh, that does answer my question, and that is something I've heard before as well, and something I appreciate. I might add, um, because I don't mm. mess, or I I have not had the best experience with femme women who I am definitely attracted to, um, who want to put me in a box or want me to be, you know, that nigga twenty four seven, as in when I sleep. 24, 7, <laughs> And, you know, I remember this woman, uh, this is a minute back, and I know, I don't want to get too tough, uh, too sidetracked, but a minute back where um, she was joking. It's like, damn, every book i bit, uh, every every book sh- um, um, I've been with um, always wind up on her back. I'm like, well, what the fuck is wrong with that? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with that? I mean, like, you know what? And I, I kind of find it like, not offensive, but if you want that then either get that bitch that is that nigga or get a nigga because and even still I know I know brothers who who anyway that's another topic. But <laughs> I'm just saying like why would you lock no matter who you sleep with, why would you lock them into one type of performance in bed? So that basically means like what exactly what are you exploring? Like what how are you growing? If like everybody got rules and the rules stay the same every every single yeah. instance. And with us, reciprocation is the number one word. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> reciprocation, you know, if you're if you don't have the will or the know how <laughs> to reciprocate, then I can't fuck with you, quite honestly. That's not something I'm attracted to. You know, mm-hmm. I can't mess with you at all, actually. Anyway, back to music. Um, <laughs> and Janet Jackson. But listen, after Janet Jackson actually yeah. came, Whitney Houston. And how mm-hmm. I developed my sense of who I'm a or even my sense of womanhood is, okay, so I'm a latchkey kid. I spent a lot of time alone, right? And um, I, was, I also was raised as an only child. Right, even though I had an older brother, but he was he was raised separately. But anyway, so I was raised as an only child, last UK, right? So I spent a lot of time alone and um I would go into these fantasy worlds. I had two kinds of fantasy worlds. One when I was performing, so it was just music and I would always imagine me performing on, in whatever kind of audience, the audience changed over time. You know, obviously, I was walking into my shoes to what I would be, <laughs> but um, but then I also had these fantasies of like, you know, Janet Jackson and, and Whitney Houston and the Pillow, <laughs> you know, and the Pillow, And and I remember, you know, I don't want you know be too revealing, you know, this, you know, y'all ain't my therapist and shit, but you know, I remember, um, imagining being like, like, say, like Janet Jackson's bodyguard or something, or like then having some sort of, oh my God, wait a minute, I just remember something. Oh my God. Hmm. All right. Before Janet Jackson, Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> Before Janet Jackson, and this goes back to your whole thing about TV, actually, my mm-hmm. very first crushes was Charlie Motherfucking Angels. Yeah, child. Mm. Yeah, child. And yeah. and I would hop back and forth with which ones I would have had crushes on. This is before I knew anything about what it was to be black and what it was to love and to be attracted to black women. This is just me, little, little, little Hanifa. This is 70s, so I'm like little, little, little Hanifa. Mm-hmm. Before like, you know, between five and ten. All right. And so just so you okay. know. So that's where my, my fantasies first started. And, you know, so I would be the bodyguard or i be the boyfriend, yada, yada, yada. And then, but as I got older, it grew into me kind of moving into not being some male figure, but more so me extracting that strength and really becoming the woman I wanted to be. Like I had to actually step into the body of a woman. Like I didn't understand, I always understood certain attributes to be that of a man. And that's how you relate to, if you're attracted to a woman, that's how you relate to them because you you should be the man. Right. But then as I got older, yeah. it just started to change where I was owning it in my body as a woman. I was having a different relationship with my masculinity you know still in the closet way in the closet in the back with the towels and shit <laughs> but <laughs> my mind was still trying to figure mm-hmm. you know things out and fast forward to the day that's how I I come to understand my masculinity but I'm very clear that I am a woman um or when I say that I am a woman I I'm in touch with my body my uh my sense of receiving um love and 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 energy um, in bed like that doesn't, I don't, I don't bring, I don't particularly bring masculinity into the bed until it's my turn, if you, if you feel me, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and then I, 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 here's the thing, and I, I'm going I'm to I'm keep, I'm going to kind of cut this off, is that what I learned to do is I realized that I've always been a balance of both. I've, you know, outwardly in the public, I am definitely more masculine presenting. Most time, most people think I'm a man before they get to know me, right? And I'm fine with that. I, that it's almost like I, my default is, you know, in the world, I am masculine presenting. I can't be fem. Like maybe my hands are a little feminine when I talk to you, but my whole presence is that. I'm not putting it on. I'm not forcing it on. It's just the default. But people who know me. And people who know me intimately know that I can I can just you know fem out, you know, um, but it's still within my mm-hmm. interpretation of, of of a femininity, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs>
0: okay. Can I say one of my favorite things oh, about do. when you fem out? <laughs> I love your pedicure.
1: <laughs> See. Okay, I'm just saying sometimes a bitch got to paint her toes and, but you don't see my toes unless you see my toes, unless you in my house and my feet, my shoes are off or you see my toes, but you ain't going to see my toes if you're out in the world. And I will, and I will say this, I probably would not paint my toes. Like on a summer day, I'm not, I'm not into showing people that I like, that's really just for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's something that it's like an action. It's almost like the same action a woman takes when she you know, puts on mm-hmm. makeup. Or even how, you know, uh, a masculine woman takes and putting on a tire, getting yourself together. Like, I like the action of that, but I don't necessarily need to show it off. I don't, I don't need to express it to the world to have that help define me. It's me defining me in my own personal space or with people that I know and love. You know what I mean? But it, I don't feel as comfortable. I don't It doesn't feel as natural to like say, let me put on some sandals and paint my toes. Like, that's not how I wanna. I don't feel comfortable presenting myself that way publicly, to be honest. Doesn't feel comfortable. Doesn't feel right, you know?
0: Yeah. To me, it was so, yeah, it was so radical. It was radical expressing of like masculine um, Mm. identity, right? It was like a way to claim your space in your own way, like on your own terms. And I just rock with it. Like, yeah, yeah, I
1: rock with it too. And, um,
0: (laughs) connecting back to like music though, (laughs) which is our our thing though. I, it made me think about Prince, right? (laughs) Um, and, and just that time period, I don't think it was like Prince specifically, mm. like Prince definitely yes, but um, even just like the androgyny of the 80s gave a lot of people like some freedom mm-hmm. that we don't have now without um, without retribution, like without like attack, without um, all of these questions and conversations. Like I do see some um, some artists, some contemporary artists who are just not about the binary, right? <laughs> they are definitely playing with um, androgyny, male and female. Like they're playing with roles. They're playing with their look. Um, uh, and, and so there's so much more pushback now than... There was when Prince put on some tight bell-bottom pants, some high heels, and just cut the ass out. Right? (laughs) And nobody blinked. Like, I know this was not social media time, but, like, all of my hard and fast, real strong, super masculine homeboys, just all the hetero there is. Love them some prints unapologetically. Right? <laughs> they didn't have to choose. They didn't they weren't made to feel like something was wrong with that. Um and I'm just wondering, or just kind of reflecting on how music gives you those free spaces, how art, you know, also like just. Allows you those opportunities to not have to be inside the line every day.
1: (laughs) Okay, inside the line. And the line is really like, not to get too geeky, it's more like a sign line. If you know anything about waveforms, it goes up and it goes down. So, you know, it's really funny that, you know, in the 70s, In hip-hop in the 70s, like the early, early, early um, Mm hip-hop, homies had the (laughs) tight-ass pants on with with the boots, and this made me think about a time when I first started traveling outside the country, one of the first places I went to was Switzerland, Mm -hmm. and not Switzerland, what the fuck I'm talking about, Um, Sweden, and I connected with uh, some some heads up there, and I had these boots on, right? Not Tim's, I had like, you know, and this is like early 90s, but... You know I ain't give a fuck, and you know I had like straight not cowboy boots, but they were more fashionable than that. But they were boots, right? And you know he was like, mm, you know that's you know that's not really hip hop, and I was like, nigga, who the fuck you think you' talking to, sweetie? <laughs> what you know about hip hop, you know? And it's like how quickly the memory fades. Um, what people used to wear in early hip hop. And then like in the 80s, you know, the fashion changed. In the 90s, everybody wearing baggy pants again. And now people wearing tight jeans again. And people from our generation, let's just call them out a little bit and saying, Uh, you know, what's all these tight pants? I was like, motherfuckers, (laughs) do y'all forget it? Y'all take like a pill or something? Mm What do you mean? It goes back and forth. You can go uh, some more decades back. They had baggy pants and you go some more baggy. Got tight. It's like it's like it's, it goes back and forth and back and forth. Nothing really new. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to say what a man should wear, what a woman should wear or what someone who's masculine should wear and what someone who's feminine should wear or all that gray area in between and around. It's like, can we just drop it? And you put, and to see what happens when you just put on, when you go into the clothes store, you're like, you know what? I'm just feeling that and feel free enough to go outside and wear that. And nobody got nothing to say to you, but yo, that look dope, dude. Like, I mean, or, you know, you're working that, but yeah. So it's like, you know, fashion is like, whatever. So every time I hear someone complain about what somebody's wearing, you know it's like oh just shut up like really 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 no no generation owns nothing of what is the pinnacle of what you know a music or the fashion of a music should be you know cuz at the end of the day hip hop fashion is just a capitalistic construct there was no such thing as hip hop fashion it's just what whatever yeah. the teenagers were wearing at the time <laughs> was the hip hop fashion <laughs> period period it's only once people try to capitalize it and push it in yeah. stores, and then oh, we had to say, oh, this is really hip hop fashion, and then we got locked into that. It's like, nah, whatever the 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 fifteen, sixteen, whatever the high schoolers <laughs> are wearing at the time, that is the hip hop fashion for the time. Hmm. Period. Yeah, and I even think about
0: like my, like my high school experience we had a duality that existed everybody didn't have to be one thing because you had um you know we right. had gangster rap and NWA was you know coming out and, and all of this kind of stuff but you also had like Kwame like <laughs> who had a gold streak in his hot top you know what I'm saying his and his polka dot hammer pants like
1: well well okay here's this go just to get back to music that's one thing that i did appreciate about Mm -hmm. coming up in the era that i did come up in is that everybody was experimenting nobody really locked down what is what in the 80s definitely the 90s started getting a little like everybody gotta be this or that but in the 80s Everybody was experimenting. Not just with flows and rhyme styles and mm-hmm. lyrics, but ways of dress. You know, I mean, Run DMC had their thing. Big Daddy Kane had his thing. You know, like, you can't find those no yeah. smooths. You can't <laughs> find a nigga in a suit. <laughs> no more. Mm-hmm. You remember Nice and Smooth? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or even Heavy D and the boys or all of them. You know what I mean? Like, you could just, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like you rocked Whatever ref- best reflected your music, yeah. Yeah. basically. <laughs> you know what I mean. And that was that. There was no code ethic of what you should put on. No one, nobody was no cookie cut, no cookie cutter mm-hmm. kind of, you know, MC. So you could have people like Kwame and like in the early nights or the, or the or the um yeah. or Native tongues, you know, and have the the quote unquote hippy dippy black kids. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You could be the different kid, yeah. and nobody really cared. You know, as long as you was dope, nobody can't. <laughs> you know? And but then, you know, everybody got like everybody, you know, every everybody had to become a damn gangster. The release
0: of the music Fuck. was commercialized, so they only releasing certain kind of music. So if you're not making that, then you're not getting your stuff out.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically. <laughs> Basically, but also there was, you know, the, you know, um, I remember. Okay, so obviously, okay, I'm old enough to remember when hip hop was just in New York. All right, like literally, that was it. You know, the the whole market was Brooklyn, <laughs> Queens, Bronx, and Manhattan. That was the. <laughs>
0: that
1: was the hit. and Philly, no Philly, and Philly, Philly was rolling. Philly was rolling. You know, that was, that was the hip hop market, maybe the tri-state Jersey too. So the tri-state area was <laughs> not Connecticut though, but the tri-state area <laughs> was what was the hip hop market. So we didn't know, we didn't know there no one else existed. Like we was in our mm-hmm. own little incubator, you know, and it was all about, Us. And it wasn't even like an ego thing. Like it didn't become an ego thing to other people started making hip hop outside of New York. And we were, then we were like, we're no, 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 no. If it ain't us, it ain't nobody. But outside of that, nobody was saying nothing. We just was, we just didn't know nothing else. It just was us. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was just us. And I forgot my goddamn point. I was trying to make a point. I really was. So help me. I was trying to make a point. I had a point y'all. I had a point. But I left the window open, and it just leapt out. When music was
0: hip hop was just New York. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I remember, I remember. <laughs> a oh. loaf of bread, a container of
1: milk, and a stick of butter. <laughs> you know that went over people's heads, right? You know that went over people's heads, right? Okay. But yes, loaf of bread, stick- Okay, there we go. So, um, all right. Okay. I remember the dawn of N.W.A. Mm-hmm. Okay, and because they were the ones to really, for the most part, I do remember when Ice T actually came to New York. He was the he was bold. He came early. Yeah. He came like in the late eighties, right? And I remember him on the radio. He was on Molly Mall, and people will call people. That's when people called up to the radio. People called to the radio. and Just was dissing homeboy left and right, and he mm. was humble as fuck. You know, and it was like you whack, nigga, like you know, beep, 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 like you whack, you whack, you know, and not for nothing he was. To us, he was. You know, we like we wasn't used to that that cadence. It wasn't used yeah. to you know his rhyme flow. You know that six a.m. Honestly, you know six okay six a.m. in the morning for me sound like Schooly D from mm-hmm. Philadelphia. I'm sorry, I think it's a straight bite, but I don't know. Maybe you can test me on that. But just listen to Schooly D for Philadelphia, and I was like that nigga just sound like Schooly D anyway. So. So when gangster shit, basically what I wanted to say, once Gangsta came, it was like Velcro. It was like the shit underneath your shoe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought, okay, okay, we got this wave, cool, let's do it. I could fuck with NWA. Now, I mean, after a while, you know, in, in, the, in the in the privacy of my own home, yeah, I blasted. I blasted NWA and I definitely love yeah. the DOC. Like he was my favorite one from that whole crew. All of them. I Snoop, or oh, they alright. Yeah. The DOC was dope because one he sounded he's his his approach to wrong was very New Yorkish. And a very his voice, his, the, the 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 tone of his voice was like, damn, who this? You know? And then he unfortunately lost his voice. But so I could rock with them, but I thought it was a fad. Was like, okay, what's next after like what's after this? What's what's after that though? And nothing ever came after that. Then Cypress Hill came and then all of a sudden where I remember nobody would even talk about smoking. <laughs> Shit is some schooly D. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> seriously. Like it was like taboo to talk about drugs because in the 80s, New York was ravaged yeah. with drugs. It wasn't Ooh. cute <laughs> to talk about drugs, period. Even though everybody smoked weed, it was just, it was, crack was everywhere. Like to make a whole song about it, it's just like, nah, son, we good. <laughs> we good, you know? So when Cypress Hill came out, it came out and then it stuck. Mm. So now it's okay to talk about weed and now, and all the way up to now, to it's, it's cool to talk about Percocet. <laughs> <I> <laughs> right, mean, right. <laughs> you know, with ecstasy. Right. And I was like, what are y'all doing? Why are you talking about like hard-ass drugs? Wreck <laughs> it. Yeah. It just was a, it just was a, my whole point is that it just was a slippery slope. And I don't want to sound old as fuck saying all this because I can appreciate, I can appreciate music. I love the Migos. People may not like me for saying that, but I like the Migos. I hear it because I've been around enough to know, oh, I hear what they're doing. Okay, that's dope. That's dope. So it's not like I don't like music today. I'm just saying I can see what happened from point A to mm-hmm. point B. <laughs> And everything in between, and we got a hold of this gangsterism, and then New York did the same thing, and all of a sudden I blink, and there's bloods and crips in New York. (laughs) How'd that happen? Sorry, my phone just went. Like how'd that happen? Anyway, my point was all over the place. You can jump in anytime. You why you why you why you texting me laughing at my ass? Turn the sound
0: down. <laughs> well no, I think like coming back to our original point of where we started, um, I think everybody benefits from expanding their musical ears. Like everybody benefits from listening to the music of their parents and their grandparents, from listening to the music of their children and grandchildren. Like everybody benefits from um from listening to music of other cultures, you know, other countries, uh, mm. I like traveling. I got to see like not only like the the local music, but to see what music from America that other countries rock with, right? <laughs> that we was not even checking for. <laughs> right? So I'm getting pulled to American yep. artists while I'm overseas, you know, or songs by reg- you know, by mainstream artists that just did not blow up here that are huge other places and i think like connecting to those those good moments those good memories making good moments and good memories via music um connecting to our humanity Mm. connecting to our humanity and the human experience through music is just a powerful tool,
1: yeah. yeah and you know one thing I would love you know i I can't say what how we could ever bring this back, and I only got a small taste of it as a kid because I think honestly it got severed in the eighties with hip hop. I think hip-hop actually severed it to a certain extent. It's people dancing together. Um, and, um, the only time I'm able to actually dance with somebody is when I go to a house club, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but even as a teenager, like we had dance moves, we had dance moves. I mean, there was like, dancers came out every second, you know? Um, but, and there was some, like with kid and play, there was some kind of connection. Like there was a little, you know, dancing together a little bit, you know, you know, was two guys, it wasn't, you know, not, not even some like intimate dancing even so much, just like connecting like it's not just about make a circle you go in it's about you and then you come out the circle and then someone else going it's about them you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like um or just you know everybody their own little their own little mini cipher whatever but it's not a there's no like one on there's not you connecting with somebody on the dance floor not in hip-hop anyway Mm -hmm. you know or if like actually my my nephew um when he was turning 16 Um, he had a throwback 16 party. So they were going to dress like the eighties. Right. All right. My nephew's like in his young twenties now, just give you some, you know, and um, I remember going, you know, to kind of, you know, to help chaperone it. And um, the kids were dancing, but all it was, was the boys were leaned up against the wall and the girls ass first was just rubbing up against them. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. Like, okay, I, I I get that. Like, whatever, we all grinded, however that looked in every generation, everybody grinded. All right, I got that. But that's all they did. Mm-hmm. That's all they did from the beginning of the party to the end of the party. And I was like, yo, yo, Shahid. Um, <laughs> y'all don't got no like dance, dances y'all have? Like, you give a dance a name or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, yeah, y'all got, like, nah, so, you know, I was like, you mean nah? Like, y'all don't, like, seriously, y'all don't got no dance, like, something <laughs> else other than that? <laughs> And he was like, straight up, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, okay. I mean, what do you do with that, Black boy? <laughs> what you mean you ain't dancing, Black boy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I don't know. I I, I just, I... Like I said, maybe it's the me generation. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I guess I just want people, and if there's any advice anywhere in this entire show, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanna say that there's to to be um somewhat, if you're not already, maybe somewhat observant observant of how your generation culturally expresses itself and what exactly it's giving. Um, not just to yourself, but you know, to the community's culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say you're not giving anything. I don't wanna I'm not trying to play myself here, but it's like what I'm trying to understand what's gonna happen next. Like, because each generation has creates a foundation for the next generation to build some new shit. Period. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but as I'm seeing, decade by decade, it's it's thinning out a little bit. Even though some people are experimenting and it, and it, you know, there is some good music out there. Um, but it feels very, I don't know, like disconnected and disenfranchised. Like it's just kind of you have to find the motherfuckers. Like you know, there's no reason, in other words, there's no reason why the pop music out here should not be better. I don't think that pop music by default <laughs> is whack. It's just not good. It's just not good. <laughs> it's just not good you know
0: okay so i will say that music has like it's flipped right so you used to be able to have easy access to the artists who were giving their all and like writing their asses off and putting like hours and hours of rehearsal time into their music and just making it for just amazing right that was on the on the radio that was easy access and then you had to find the gutter stuff like <laughs> you had to go and get the the tape that somebody was making copies of and passing around to get the gutter stuff and now right. it's flipped
1: mm. so now
0: the the trash is what and you know trash as the general sense you know (laughs) like the 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 commercial like stuff is the no-brainer music and you have to talk to people and go to these shows and really like Somebody still making CDs, or they gonna give you their link to their SoundCloud, like in order to get good music.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what, I can fuck with some good stuff, you know. Yeah, you know, fuck them up and get money. You know, know, but but there's a time and a place. Like in other words, I don't. It's like when if I'm just going to listen to a particular playlist you know, say on Spotify or whatever. Like if I'm going to go into some trap shit or I'm going go to, you know, the Migos playlist, you know, or their radio station or whatever. Um, after a while, I'm just, my brain just gets numb because do you got to be that explicit? Like, okay, you are literally talking about like, I feel like I know the anatomy of the woman you are talking about. I know her. I'm her gynecologist. You are being so explicit about how her pussy look, <laughs> what you're doing to it, you know, and all you, and, and let me be very clear, very, very clear with this. All you sound like is that you can't fuck. You sound like you can't fuck because you have no appreciation for, boom, boom, boom. you have no appreciation for the person that you're fucking. So you sound mm-hmm. like you can't fuck. You know, and it's like, and I know you don't know that you don't sound like you can't fuck. <laughs> you know, because you're 18 and you're 19 and you're 20, 21. Even I've I heard somebody, some, you know, late 20 something year old artist. I'm like, what that is, is that all you have been around is women who are professionals who go to, who are there to fuck you. You're not around any sort of diverse span of womanhood. no one's there to teach you how to be a man (laughs) or if you're a heterosexual man how to actually please a woman when you talk about it in your song you just sound like you can't fuck you don't sound like the man you sound like a nigga that can't fuck period anyone grown can listen (laughs) to that and sound like oh he can't fuck (laughs) anyway that's my point. I always wanted to yeah. say that in public. You just sound like you can't fuck. <laughs>
0: Congratulations.
1: You sound mad green. Like maybe you doing a lot of fucking, but that don't mean you can fuck.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> we, okay, so we. I feel like that's the best place to end it. Because <laughs> we started off with the crush.
1: <laughs> we went from the crush to you can't fuck. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what? Listen, we're going to end it there. I know we went everywhere with this. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So our generation went there with it,
0: and like it's now. How how much more can you say? Like how like there's nothing shocking anymore. There's nothing, um, you know, just new happening in as far as like how language is being used, they're actually like young people are actually going to have to go backwards in like metaphor
1: and simile and like, like that
0: in order for it to be interesting.
1: Yeah. Y'all going to have to Bruno Mars it. <laughs> <laughs> Just take whole songs. Yeah. Just take whole songs from like the early eighties and make it new yeah. again.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause he's straight up the gap, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know he's the gap band, straight up. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. yeah, y'all. Well,
0: thank you so uh-huh. much for such a good conversation today.
1: Yeah, and I just want to apologize, y'all, that we are still dealing with some technical difficulties. So I'm going to try and edit the best out of this. I know Red kind of came in and out, but I'm gonna make her sound as best as I can. <laughs> and just. <laughs> <laughs> and and just have patience with us, and we're just going to figure out these technical difficulties. But with all that being said, I'm really excited about next week. We're going to have Teek Milan um, on. I know, Red, uh, you and your wife are going to be in the Caribbean, hopefully. Shit, they may have a better connection than y'all have at home. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Not to be dissing, but I'm just saying. Um, But so again, yeah, so Teague Milan is going to be on your gay aunties uh, next week. And he's definitely going to go in, I'm sure, about um, fatherhood because he is a new father. Him and his wife, Kim, just had a baby girl. Um, So that's going to be amazing. I can't wait to talk to him about that. Um, So with that being said, uh, if you all have... (laughs) Any questions? <laughs> we still new, so we know y'all ain't you know y'all emailing us yet, you, know, you know what I'm saying? We can deal with that, you know, but we're here for you whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, baby. That's our aunties. <laughs> your aunties so are, are here can
0: they for you. Email us? Say again, where can they email us?
1: Where can they email us? You can email us at your gay aunties at gmail.com. Woo-hoo. That's right. Email us with your life, loves questions about life love career situations you may be in be as detailed as possible so we can really uh, uh give you some detailed answers <laughs> to your questions Give you that clarity that you need so you gay aunties at gmail.com and if you hear this if you have any questions specifically fatigued definitely just uh, say that in the email that the question is fatigued to answer and he will answer that all right now and so i am hanifa walida
0: I am Red Summer, and we are your
1: gay gay aunties. aunties.
0: (laughs) All right, good night. Good night, (laughs) y'all.